Welcome to The Chit Chat, where we delve deep into the world of conversational commerce, technology, and business. I'm your host, Jesse Lucas, and I'm excited to have you join us. In each episode, we'll be joined by special guests from across the industry, sharing their expertise and insights. Get ready for engaging conversations that inspire and inform. The Chit Chat. This week, I'm joined by Serge Milbank, a pioneering figure in the world of video commerce, with a distinctive ability to merge technology with captivating consumer experiences, Serge stands as a beacon for how digital shopping journeys are evolving. Together, we'll explore the intricacies of video commerce and provide actionable insights on how you can kickstart your video commerce initiative. If you've ever contemplated blending video with commerce, or if you're just curious about its transformative potential, this is an episode you won't want to miss. Without further ado, let's get started. Serge, welcome to the Chit Chat. Hi, Jesse. That was quite an intro. So nice to meet you. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much for coming along. Really excited for this conversation. And I guess for me, I was obviously, I did a bit of prep for this, Serge, and I was looking through your LinkedIn profile. And as many of our listeners may do after this as well to find out a bit more about you. And your experience is quite varied, quite long, and you've done lots of different stuff. So could you just talk us through a bit more about your personal and professional journey? Um, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, the first thing you'll probably gather from, uh, from me is the Australian accent or, or what's left of it. Um, so I've actually uh, started my career in Australia and that was in the late 90s in digital. So I was, I was lucky enough to get the tail end of uh, the dot-com boom and then uh, and unlucky enough as well to get the, uh, you know, the, the dot-com crash that happened afterwards. So I sort of uh, I experienced that in the early days of e-commerce in particular. And we sort of, as that started to bottom out, I made the decision to move to England and uh, sort of landed here in, I think, 2003. Um, I jumped straight into sort of agency side work, um, uh, working with Ogilvy, and I sort of worked the BT account with the Amex account. Um, and uh, then made probably, it was probably my first jump over into the client side where I went, went to Intercontinental Hotels Group just kind of saw a totally different perspective of, of, of how e-commerce works rather than actually just running the campaigns. We had the opportunity to actually sort of run an e-commerce business. Uh, and that was a revelation for me. It was um, very interesting. And I was working with a chap called Matt Barker. He ended up becoming my co-founder in, in sort of the first major successful business I, I started up, which is a company called Stream20. Um, and what Stream20 was, was we were a, a digital marketing consultancies, one of the first digital marketing consultancies out there. And we basically went into sort of scaled um, operations and, and helped them unlock digital growth. So we had sort of brands in our portfolio like Sky, uh, Amazon, Betfair, McAfee, Experian. Uh, then sort of in the States, we had Experian as well. Uh, you know, we worked with the likes of Fandango, Fox, uh, all over the world, we work with Orange and Vodafone. These are sort of big monster sort of e-commerce operations, um, as well as uh, we, we had a whole bunch of smaller businesses as well uh, that we worked with as well. And so um, there was a really interesting business that we ran. Uh, we ran it for about 15 years, um, actually just shy of 15 years. Um, and what I got with this was this amazing helicopter view of what great e-commerce looks like and what not great e-commerce looks like and how to, how to sort of improve it. 
Um, uh, it was a great successful business. We sold that business in late late teens in the 2000s, I guess, late, uh, late teens. And I was then in the, the enviable position that everybody likes the sound of is, is uh, I, was, I was sort of sitting on a beach. I then Angel invested quite a bit. I worked in advisory stuff. Um, but always what I really wanted to do was to build a tech business. Um, and so I spent a long time sort of looking around and trying to find out um, what the next tech business was and, and, and how that kind of worked through. So you're right, I've, I've, I've been able to, I've bounced around a lot, but there's been a theme there and that theme has been, has been around e-commerce and how to, how to drive volume in e-commerce across it. Yeah. Wow, what a journey, eh? And then yeah, it's so, not too bad. Not too bad. I mean, I've seen a lot. Yeah, yeah. And and then so when you were on that beach, what made you get into the world of video commerce? Not much, if I'm honest with you. I um, uh, when I got off that beach, I sort of came back to London, um, and um, was about to take over um, a video analytics company. Actually, so I was sort of in the process of sort of buying majority share in that company and. And, um, and, you know, they were doing video analytics, understanding, you know, uh, data that, that, that comes out from video. And um, I was sort of kicking off the technical due diligence of that. Um, I had a whole tech team sort of engaged to do that due diligence, just to understand whether the tech was robust enough for, for us to scale that business into something that could, that, that could make a difference. Uh, and then COVID hit. And uh, then lockdown kicked in and basically that deal sort of fell out of bed. And, uh, and I, I was sat there with a sort of a tech team that was engaged and ready to go uh, that were very focused on video and, and I had to sort of start to look around to decide what I wanted to do. And the next, then I just got a range of phone calls. I was still doing a lot of consulting, a lot of advisory, and I got a lot of uh, sort of phone calls from sort of retailers sort of saying, We've lost our retail stores. We don't know what to do, and you know, help. And you know, so we got to a point where um, I started asking questions about, you know, well, what makes retail so good? Because I, I spent my whole career in e-commerce, and and what makes retail really good, and what makes it important, and importantly, what makes retail convert, and what was different about that. And and what I learned very quickly as we started to analyze. Uh, how retail converts is it's fundamentally different to the way e-commerce converts. Um, it's very much a human experience. Uh, and there's a whole sort of establishing rapport, understanding needs, clarifying needs, immersing in products, not necessarily funneling people into a conversion. It's more about, hey, this, this is, you know, this is the, the, the breadth of the things that you could be buying that might may or may not meet your needs. And we looked at that and we thought to ourselves, actually, we can replicate a lot of that online. And there was a clear need at the time. And the clear need was that basically retail had been decimated. And um, what we really saw is statistically, what does is, what is e-commerce look like in 10 years time? And so we kind of had this beautiful sort of view of the future of what, about what e-commerce would look like. And so we decided to, um, we decided to try and replicate as close as reasonably possible the experience you have in retail and sort of bring that into an online experience. Um, and, you know, that's what that was. And, and broadly, we built, you know, we, we built a prototype. 
Um, um, we started going through the build of that prototype. As, as we'd had that, uh, that prototype was getting built, I lifted my head up and sort of said, well, well a bit of, bit of work out what else is out there in the marketplace. And then we discovered what was going on in China. Um, and we discovered how, you know, it was, you know, live commerce was going crazy in China. Um, and there were a few companies that were doing sort of live video uh, commerce over here in, in, in Europe and the United Kingdom. And so we sort of thought, well, actually, okay, well, what can we do to add to that experience? And, and that's broadly what sparked um, uh, Confer with, really, because we, we had a look at what was out there. We learned, we knew that actually if we could then combine commerce to video in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a unique way, we would have something that was not only market leading, but also something that uh, we knew was future proofed. So uh, that was really how we found, uh, found Confer with it. It was, it was a bit serendipitous. Yeah, it still sounds really exciting. And what a journey you've been on since those days of COVID. And I guess to help our listeners to understand a bit more about what Confer with actually does, could you explain what it looks like from the customer's perspective, please? Okay, the customer experience is um, you will trigger a video call at, at, at certain stages in the purchase journey on e-commerce. So you might be on a product page, you might be on a listing page. Um, well, there's a whole range of ways to trigger it, but you trigger into a, a, a live one-to-one video call and you route it to an expert, uh, to a retail expert of some description. And in that, in that video call, um, we've connected to e-commerce. So everything's shoppable in the video call. So if you're dealing with, you know, someone that's got 100,000 SKUs, 100,000 products, we have access to those 100,000 products and they're all shoppable inside that video call. And it becomes this just lovely video experience where you've got, you know, two people, two human beings talking to each other, understanding needs, you know, uh, understanding about the human being. Uh, but then also, you know, that can be actualized in an experience where you can um, go through different products, you can be immersed in products, you can add things to baskets, you can push that over into your cart. There's a whole range of sort of uh, you know, ways that you can go about doing it, but all of it's trying to replicate the experience you have in your store. So if you walk into a store, you know, you're going to maybe get greeted by someone. Hopefully if it's a decent store, you get greeted by someone, you're establishing a level of rapport and that happens over video. You know, then you start asking needs uh, in, a, in a retail store and over video, you're asking questions about what you know, what you're in the market for, whether you're trying to buy, uh, what products you're looking for. Once the retail consultant or associate or brand ambassador, whatever you want to call them, um, understands those needs, they can then start to share product and, and, and help narrow down what the right product is by immersing them in that product. And then eventually sort of taking them to the till by pushing them into sort of a shared basket there as well. So the experience, I think, is brilliant, but naturally I would say that, being the leader of a... a, a, a a video commerce platform. Um, I naturally have drunk the Kool Aid and believe that it's a great experience. But um, all the data we suggest as well suggest that customers are enjoying it as well. So, I mean, I've had the privilege of seeing the experience firsthand demonstrated to me. So, and I and I think it's pretty good as well. Pretty damn good. And can you tell us about some of the brands you work with? Any big names have you got on your roster yet? And any success stories you can share with us? We're working with the likes of Halfords, Dunelm. We've just picked up MS, which is a great one for us. But you know, historically, we sort of worked with a range of brands that 
that that are doing some great stuff. And I, I thought I'd just give you three examples, actually. Yes, yeah, um, first one, Snug, which is a sofa in a box company. If you run into those guys, yes, no, Snug, yeah, yeah, okay, brilliant. So like, we've been working with them for years now, um, and they've kind of gone all in on video commerce. You know, they've got dedicated teams, sort of working from home uh, or from dedicated studios. They've pulled in sort of dedicated video sales consultants that sort of help the brand ambassadors, the people doing the video calls, and how to do well on video sales. And what they did is they examined all the shoppable elements on Confer with, looked at the stats, uh, and then coached them on what were the right behaviours that drive more sales. And, you know, and then what were the behaviours that drove more customer satisfaction, uh, which is re- really interesting. So Snug do incredibly well in one-to-one live video shopping. They then actually then moved to one-to-many, which is really the one-to-many space, which is more about... Um, it's a bit more broadcasty, and mm-hmm. uh, you know you, might, you see a lot of that on TikTok. One, so is one to many based on Absolutely. social channels, or is it on? Can you do it from websites as well? Yeah, so you've got I mean, in the one to many space, you uh, naturally on the big social platforms, mm-hmm. and you know I think Meta in particular sort of went all in pretty hard on live for a while, and they, they actually then backed away a bit. Mm. Uh, TikTok have gone all in pretty hard on that. You know, a lot of platforms that allow you to one to many shows from your e-commerce site and they make things shoppable inside those video calls. Now, what Snug did is they, they were out in the social platforms almost and that what that did is that created demand and then they pushed them all into sort of one-to-one video calls and it worked. It worked incredibly well. Call out Snug a lot as a business that has just sort of said, right, we're going all in on social commerce mm-hmm. and we and, and and one-to-one live video, live video commerce has become a sort of an integral part of that. They've got a dedicated team that works to it. Cool. They do very well. Dunelm's a good example. Um, you know, they're kind of leveraging the strength of their staff. They've got thousands and thousands of staff members mm. um, and they wanted to get, sort of give them a, themselves an advantage uh, when they're going up against pure plays. They did trials in sort of video calls for people in store and that's people flipping cameras and walking the store. Yeah. Uh, they did trials of virtual teams working from home and then they did this uh, interesting hybrid where... Um, where teens where they're actually in retail, but they're in specific sections of the store that were dedicated for videos, video calls. When you said they're in certain parts of the store, was that based on the assortment they were speaking about? So was there some parts of the assortment that were better for video commerce and some that wasn't? To an extent, I think it was more uh, they wanted to utilise the retail teams um, to uh, to do video calls because mm-hmm. it's uh, that became an interesting sort of you know development for them in in uh, in the way they were working, uh, so that meant they were already in the retail environment. So it was more about creating an environment where they wouldn't have uh, wouldn't be competing with customers for for for, for their attention. Yeah. Um, but equally, you know, there's naturally there's a lot of categories um, that work amazingly well for for live video and some that don't, and you know, it generally will correlate with value. In terms of cost of items, so higher value goods tend to be a little bit more high consideration. And mm-hmm. as a result, you know, if you're going to be around a sofa, if you're going to be around a bed, if you're going to be around, you know, those types of things, then it's, it makes sense to be close by to them. But what's interesting is was interesting for, you know, for the big multiple, you know, multiple brand retailers and multiple product retailers where they've got tens of thousands and in some instances, hundreds of thousands of SKUs it's pointless having all the products around you because you just can't. Yeah. So that's where the connection to the e-commerce catalog makes all the difference. 
And so that's kind of, you know, just trying to get, uh, paint a pure retail experience mm. with Snug and then a, then a, then a sort of a, an omni-channel experience with, with Dunelm. And then we got, uh, the last one I wanted to give you an example of was a brand we're working with in Italy called Oway, um, okay. or, or Organic Way. And they're, a, they're an Italian skin and hair care brand. And, you know, they're, what's interesting about them is they don't have a massive retail presence. They've got a store in a collection of countries around Europe. Um, uh, so they didn't have the advantage of a retail uh, sort of presence to lean on as heavily as, as you would like a Dunelm. At the same time, they're very dedicated to their brand values. So they're all about removal of plastic, organic, organic materials. And so they're effectively a pure play with very values driven without a big retail footprint. Now, what they did is they, they basically built purpose-built visual studio inside their offices, which is effectively cool. sort of, it's on the outskirts of Bologna, and, you know, you drive there and there's fields around the corner. So there's the farming things around the corner. And so it's, it's not a retail space. And it's, it's to a le- you know, it's, it's where they do a lot of their manufacturing and a lot of them, you know, a lot of their teams are all out there. And they, you know, they've got this kind of social space they have out there as well. But the setup is just brilliant. It's a dedicated space. It's designed specifically for video commerce. Everything's within reach. Lighting's exemplary. They've got multiple cameras. So you've got, you've got your face camera, you've got play tables, you've got like this follow mode where they walk around in a store. It's a whole dedicated sort of rig that's set up. And sort of Confer With becomes part of that experience where if we go back to where we discussed about what the retail experience is like, you know, they'll start off with a consultation face-to-face. It might be a skin consultation. They then might decide what the products they want to buy or they might want to show to the customer. They then go to the cabinets behind them. Mm-hmm. And they walk to the cabinets. The camera automatically flow, follows them to to those cabinets, uh, sort of at the rear. They pick out the right products. They go over to the play table and they share on the play table. And then they work out what the right product is for the customer. And when the customer says that's the right product, they might have some questions. They pull up the specs on Confer with. If they like the product, they put it in the basket. And then they go through sort of that, that whole routine until they've worked out all the products that they need. Uh, what's appropriate. Once, once they're there, they push it into the basket. And once it's pushed into the basket, inevitably the customer checks out at a, at a very high conversion rate, great satisfaction levels. But it's what that is, is an amazing, true hybrid experience between physical and digital. Mm. It's not a retail environment. It's certainly not an e-commerce environment. It's this, it's, this, um, it's this morphing between the two that actually, in our view, is great. And what's beautiful about it is it's you're around the corner from a farm. And so it says to me that you can do video commerce anywhere. I mean, naturally, everybody logically thinks it, it sits in retail, but actually I think those, those lines are blurring very, and it's becoming very clear to me in particular that those lines are fundamentally blurring. Hmm. So that's, uh, yeah, there's three examples for you. No, no, they were hit. And what sort of metrics have they been able to push or what have they achieved via these initiatives? Because you mentioned conversion, but what do you typically see with some of these activations? Is there impacts on AOV, customer satisfaction, um, profits? Yeah, so, okay. So first things first, the most important metric is customer satisfaction. And we tend to measure that, that via NPS, mm-hmm. Net Promoter Score. And the reason why we, we do that is it's very hard to get a good score in, in NPS. And it's very easy to get a negative score in NPS. So, um, and it's statistically the only the only metric out there that's that's more on the soft measure 
uh, that actually has a direct correlation with, uh, with you know, economic outcomes. You know, how likely are you to recommend this to friends or family? And it's only the, only the top scores of that go towards uh, a positive outcome in NPS. And so we are pretty maniacal about NPS. Hmm. Um, we discovered pretty early that, okay, so yes, this converts incredibly well and conversion rate is an important metric. Uh, yes, your average order value goes through the roof. That's great. Important metric. Yes, you're making more money as a result of doing video video commerce. But actually, if the customer is not enjoying it, it's not it's it's not really uh, it's, it's a pointless exercise. You need the customer to be enjoying it. And so we kind of we we had that as a one primary. And I think the moment you look at that, and that's guided everything that we do in in, in terms of this is and and, and inherently. NPS goes very high anyway with video. So mm-hmm. anyone that's doing video, live one-to-one video, you get a great NPS. The moment you layer commerce to that, it's a big jump. It's a yeah. big jump beyond uh, beyond those levels. So, And then when you coach the behaviors that result in high NPS, then the money actually follows. The revenue follows for, for both e-commerce and omnichannel on the back of that. The big three are sort of number one is NPS, number two is conversion, Number three is is average order value. Then we, we've introduced a metric to most of our clients, which is revenue per minute. And why is revenue per minute important? It, it, that links back to profitability. So if because there's a staffing element that, that, that happens with video commerce, so you need to understand what the revenue per minute or actually then you t- take that out to a revenue per hour. And the average on the confer with platforms around uh, £1,200 per hour um, on average is, is what um, an hour on the confer with platform makes. We spent a lot of time building that and the moment we put the energy into NPS is the moment that that really started to skyrocket because actually all of a sudden you're giving stuff to customers that they like. And then, but importantly, the then it's no longer a discussion about the, you know, the staff resourcing. You know, would you put a dedicated team on this? Well, if it's making that kind of money with your margins in retail, then then it makes sense. Then the really smart operators are then going in, going deeper and having a look at loyalty metrics. Uh, to see how loyal customers are as a result of doing a transaction over video and optimizing towards that. You know, the final metric that we're seeing use case, I saw one just this morning when, you know, there's a use case, which is, you know, how do we reduce returns? And naturally you can reduce returns by just doing the initial call um, because actually all of a sudden you're getting the sizing right if you're in fashion or you're getting, you know, the, you know, the specifications right if you're in consumer electronics. Uh, but then it's actually when people are, coming in and saying, I'd like to return this product uh, because it doesn't work. You, if you put them onto a video call you can then start to understand actually what the real problem is, is or maybe it's because you're not doing behavior X, Y, or Z that results yeah. in this, uh, you know, performing well. And so there's, there's, there's people starting to build use cases around, you know, around the service side, you know, the post-sale service as well. So they're, they're the metrics we see most. They're the metrics you want to play with the most, I think. Yeah, that no, makes sense. And then, I, lo- I love that. It was, it was £1,200 per hour on average. Is that correct? On average, yeah. Mm. So when you're in high-value products, it's, a, it's, it's, woof, it's through the roof. Uh, Lower-value products, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously a little bit lower. So it depends on that as well. And it depends on um, a range of things. But, yeah, it's, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a key metric. So that, that changes the argument about whether you put staff onto this. Uh, naturally, you would because it's, it's, it's making good revenue. Yeah, and I reckon a lot of business owners that are listening to this and hear that metric, they're thinking, 
wow, maybe I should start to consider video commerce or a live commerce initiative like this. But what I want to understand is, is this for is this for any business? Can any size business do this? Because obviously you mentioned quite a few big big brands. Could small little independent companies do this too? And and when they do want to start doing this this sort of initiative, how do they go about beginning their journey? So let's let's think about this. So if we look at big business, um, and you know, let's talk about what big business is. Big business is website operations or omnichannel operations. They're in the millions of visits a month. Um, this is one hundred percent, absolutely a no-brainer for those types of businesses. As long as they're, as long as they're going to, you know, reasonable value and reasonable transaction value, big business, it's 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 not your problem. You're going to be opening up a video channel, which is effectively modernising a contact centre. Yeah. Um, in, a, uh, in a in a in a really interesting way. But then, if you start to look at sort of you know medium-sized businesses, mid-market, and even the smaller businesses, um, then it starts to get then it starts to get a little bit more interesting. So, um, like, for example, um, we're recording this in Black Friday week. Um, we integrated two small businesses yesterday. And, right. it's, uh, and it's, it's, the, it's the Tuesday in that. But there's another two that will go live before Black Friday. And they're, they're small businesses. And they, they're just, they, they can just move quick and they can integrate mm. and off they go. And, but in reality, um, you know, they'll do okay uh, having integrated a week before Black Friday uh, or days before Black Friday. <laughs> um, but in reality, you're going to want two or three months of, you know, sort of getting this going inside your business uh, for it to really take hold, I think. Big business, you turn it on, it makes an ROI, you know, in the first month or two. Mm. And smaller business, it's, you know, it's you've got customers coming back, getting used to it. They might do two or three video calls coming through. It takes a little bit longer to sort of get themselves going within that framework there as well. I'm going to say taking a step back, I think, you know, retail is sort of undergoing quite a fundamental change at the moment. You know, uh, formats are changing, staffing models are changing. You can sort of see the model shifting uh, around a lot. The, the two big shifts I'm seeing is there's a change in store formats. And what they're doing is they're effectively creating more space in these retail environments, which sort of makes rooms for this. And then equally, there's sort of, big hiring problems out there is, is sort of, if you're in the retail space, it's kind of seen as a bit of a transitory job. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's young people are kind of going, oh, I don't necessarily want to do that, you know, and, and you know, they're, 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 they're quitting quickly. So one of the goals we had here was to try and create a career path for someone in retail. So someone who's working in retail to, to have this kind of grow out and become something for them. And what we're actually noticing is it's opening up a kind of a new hybrid role for retail. So sometimes it's in a store, sometimes it's in a dedicated space in a store, sometimes it's in visual studios that we talked about, sometimes it's working from home. So all of a sudden you've got this new flexible working model for staff out there that, you know, you can, you know, we've got lots of examples of uh, working mums that only have a you know only have a certain proportion of the day that they've got available to be doing video calls and, and things like that. So the staffing scenario is really really interesting, but not only for retail where you, you're becoming this kind of hybrid, uh, this hybrid kind of uh, job, but it's but it's also um, in e-commerce, pure play e-commerce, where you've got all these people that actually would love to be doing video calls within that framework there as well. So what you've got is you've got this amazing supply of people that are willing to do video calls 
um, out there that are that are, that love brands and love talking to people and love love certain product sets. You know, sort of interior designing type people for interiors. You've got um, you've got fashion people that love fashion. You've got consumer, you know, you, you tech geeks that love their, you know, love love technology. You've got you know a range of different sort of scenarios there like that as well. So sort of spinning around in circles here, but but the big thing within that is to sort of to get started is actually it's quite a straightforward process. The integration's quick. And what I mean by that is, is, is you know, we spend a lot of time getting the integration up and up and running. Even if you don't use something like Confer with you could get you can get straight to video very quickly. There's mm-hmm. you know Zoom and Teams and, and everything out there that can get you a straight video call that can start to show you the outcomes there uh, that you can sort of start to see as a business. And when you want to go industrial scale, you know, there's platforms like Confer with that that, that, that allow that to happen. And the, the tech installation should be quick. Yeah. And for those companies that maybe have done some testing in Zoom, seen the impacts, and now they want to come over to a platform like yours, a more fully fledged platform with a lot more capability, how much would that typically cost them? Is licensing done per conversation or how does that work? The model is designed to be the appropriate cost for the size of the business. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the ROI should be a very good positive ROI uh, for a capture channel uh, for uh, for the business. So you know the licensing is done in such a way that you know you can you can buy the software. If you need teams to do video calls, you can buy um, you can uh, you can get uh, specific teams in to be doing video calls on behalf of your brand, uh, and that's also very helpful for for businesses that um, that aren't wouldn't necessarily initially invest in people to be doing the video calls, but they can get this beautiful untapped resource of people that know a lot about a sector that, that, that's there and, and can be trained to, uh, you know, to be talking about, uh, to be talking about your brand in, a, in, in your brand or your, your set of brands in a, in a positive way. So I think the model in itself you know, sort of it, it builds up. There shouldn't really be much of a capital expenditure anymore at all in this. It's this is something yeah. that you can just plug in and off you go, and uh, and then it's really about layering in, you know, the software cost, which is us, which we think is quite reasonable, and naturally we would. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then there's, um, you know, of course we do. Um, uh, but, uh, but but then there's the people side of it as well, where the unit economics of okay, if you're making. If you're making this much per hour on the platform, then then it's no then it's a no brainer to be you know to be doing that in, in a sort of an hourly basis or a commission basis for the people doing video calls. And that model we found through a bit of trial and error works, and it works for businesses as they uh, as they start to explore. Yeah, and you mentioned in one of your previous answers the different operating models that some of these businesses could have. So you've mentioned about being from a store or in part of a store or in a dark store in somewhere in Italy um, by some fields. But, you know, is there a certain model you would recommend or does it depend on the business itself? Well, look, first things first, a little bit controversial. Come on, we're in a, we're in a podcast. Let's, be, <laughs> let's get some controversy out there. Is, is, is retail is retail is generally a mistake. Mm-hmm. You got you know retail staff just walking around a store with a with a with a handset of some description. The answer rate's going to be horrible. You're going to get seasick from them walking around the store. And if the physical customer comes through, the you know we've had examples where people just hang up on the video call and and, and deal with the physical customer. Oh wow! 
and it's it, it, it just doesn't work. You've got low answer rates, low engagement rates, you know, low adoption rates, everything that everything that goes with that. So that's that's the, the that's talking about what doesn't work compared to if you take it into a contact center, it just works. As long as you can create the, the visual environment around you, the modernization of a contact center that looks a lot more like retail. And so the contact center is is amazing. Um, now, if you speak to anyone in contact centers, they'll then sort of say, "Oh, distributed model," you know. So and all of a sudden, and and, it, and it's true. There's a lot. There's a lot of working from home going on, and so the model of people working from home uh, works. We're all working hybrid. I, I happen to be in an office, but I get the feeling that you're working from home at the moment, Jesse. So it's it's yeah. And so that hybrid model of people working from home makes a difference. Let's talk about dark stores. Um, first things first, we've got to stop. We've got to stop calling them dark stores. It's um, I don't know who came up with it, but it sounds like some kind of seedy back alley store that no one really knows about. And, you know, clearly, clearly there's no lighting going on in there. So it's, it's like some kind of like back cave, and you know, and you know. So I just I, I don't think that's the right framework. And the idea of setting up a whole store that no physical customer walks into. It's crazy. The capex mm-hmm. in that is just, it's too much for a retailer, I think. So um, what you can do is set up visual studios. And we've seen okay. it several times where you set up visual studios where it's, that's a different ball game. These are dedicated, these are dedicated spaces that are either remote, in a contact center, in a head office, or actually in a store, but actually just cordoned off in the store. Um, this is the way to do it. This is, this is where it's evolving. And it's, uh, you know, it's why is it working that way? And the reason why it's working that way is because it's not, you know, you're not dealing with someone in a store. You don't necessarily need physical product in front of you. It helps to have some of it, particularly key products. But if you've got 100,000 SKUs, if you've got 10,000 SKUs, if you've got 1,000 SKUs, all of that is too mm. much uh, for a video environment. So... All you need is a, is, a, is a sort of a visual space that is dedicated to doing video. You might have some product that you use to demonstrate, but you rely on the e-commerce platform to do the heavy lifting, to do the work. So, you know, you might demonstrate a product or two if you need to do it visually. There's some products you don't need to do it visually. You just need to talk about it. You, you know, so I'm looking for this specification. Oh, this is the right specification product. You like that? Well, right, let's get that in your basket. And, uh, and and that's where the value really starts to lie in, in when you take it up into vid- Visual Studios. We've seen amazing versions of this. I gave you an example of, of, of Oway, but they're, they're not isolated. They just happen to be the best I've seen. What it really does is it really lifts the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the operating model to, to sort of take it through. Now, the second part of operating model then actually comes down to people. To make this work amazingly well is you need dedicated people to be doing it. You need people that want to do it, uh, to do video calls. That's a sort of a step change operationally for a business where it's going, okay, well, we, we need to dedicate some people to video. And, you know, I think the starting point for that is you, you might use an outsource team uh, to do that that's sort of on a, on a per minute basis. And that's, you know, the, we have conferred with teams that do that the, to help you ramp up. And then when, then when it makes financial sense, then you start putting your own dedicated team going in there uh, as well. So the short answer is it's straightforward. At the end of the day, you have a decent camera, you have a decent mic, you have decent lighting, you have someone that wants to be on video, you start doing video calls, you start building baskets with customers it, it, and you start, to see whether, you start to see whether it works or not. Doesn't work for every sector, works for a mm-hmm. lot of sectors. 
And we're seeing some sectors just innovating until they get it working uh, as well. So there's, you know, we're in, we are in the early stages of a, of a, of a sector here that um, we're seeing a lot of innovation. I mean, naturally, we like to think we're innovative, uh, but we're seeing, you know, as brands come on, uh, they're innovating the operating model a fair bit. So, and, and, and we, we take those learnings a lot and we, we have a look at it and when we see it repeat, we know that there's something that's taking hold. Yeah. And I, I like the point around actually, you know, you just get yourself a camera, get yourself a microphone and probably the most important thing is actually the person behind that camera. And then you're, you, you can get started. You don't need to overcomplicate it too much to begin with. And you can definitely reuse resources you've got there, whether contact centers, store space already, as many companies do. And purpose that for what do you call it again a visual studio is it yeah visual i, I call them visual studios um or visual visual contact centers as well there as well but it's and you know the big thing about these visual studios is there's light um lighting's <laughs> important so we you know we we, we don't want a dark store because there's no there's no light there we want light uh, uh, and that's important because lighting makes all the difference in a video I've made a note, Serge, not to, to say dark stores anymore because I really get that you don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> well, not around me, please, please. I'm taking them, taking them off my follow-up questions next. <laughs> Just joking, no more questions on dark stores for now. <laughs> but I guess, you know, you've worked with quite a few companies over different sectors and I really want to kind of hear as well some of the sectors where it didn't work in. What other challenges and mistakes have you seen businesses make in this space? Right, mistakes. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. No, no. It's, uh, I think um, the first things first is uh, retail executions only. I think I mentioned this earlier. Retail, if you just throw someone into retail, it doesn't work. The answer rate's low, um, the adoption's low, uh, and and a a physical human being always wins. Um, So we, you know, if someone says, oh, we're just going to roll this out in retail, then we say, oh, maybe we shouldn't do it. So, uh, or we try and convince them to do it in a, in a, in a hybrid in a hybrid way. Um, we think uh, I sort of see relying on appointments only um, is is isn't great. It's I think we have a lot of people say, "Oh, we'll start with appointments," and okay. um, there's just not enough volume in appointments. Uh, I think in in COVID, in lockdown, when everyone was. That was the that was the modus operandi is working using appointments to make that happen. There's it's you're missing out on ninety percent of the volume oh, wow. uh, of the video okay. course you could be doing. And at the at the end of the day, yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's you it's know it's <laughs> appointments. I think it's even yeah appointments are ten percent if if you're lucky. Um, so now for the higher the value of the product, appointments matter actually. But um, uh, but still, it's still it's only that'll only be twenty percent of uh, uh, of the volume there as well. So so appointments are important for second contact. Mm. The appointment that you know, it's, if if I'm buying a sofa and I found a sofa, um, if I went and bought a sofa right now and it got delivered to my house, my wife would have a pink fit. I think. I think um, you know is is uh, but but so maybe I do a video call about the sofa, and then I make an appointment for both myself and my wife to be doing that appointment, so we can go through that consideration cycle. And they're high value good, high value goods, high consideration goods. Um, that's that's where appointments start to come good. It's the, it's the second meeting, uh, you know, to for for multi multi touch selling uh, is where where appointments become 
become useful and reliable. And how does AI and machine learning fit into the equation for video commerce? All right, let's talk about AI. So, um, so Confer with is a sort of at its heart is a is a data platform actually, and we use that in all sorts of ways. You know, that's um, all the products that we surface inside a video call um, to understanding what the right behaviour on the call is, all the impact on the NPS, etc. That becomes a really useful sort of data set. Uh, to play with. So um, as a result, we, you know, the type, if we think about machine learning to start with, we can predict what a high customer satisfaction call looks like. We can predict what a high conversion call looks like. We can sort of predict what a, what a high average order value call looks like um, uh, by, by, by everything that we've done in the machine learning space to understand statistically, if you do these four, five, six things in a video call, that's what results in a uh, in 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 all the metrics going up, and so all the machine learning we have behind that is is you know the platform itself behind the scenes uh, has a really sharp rec engine uh, that uses might pull in other rec engines and then you know crunches that up with lots of other data that we have on there as well to help with decision. So you're giving people superpowers if you've got a hundred thousand products to 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 to, to give to, to to offer to a customer. Um, and you're only going to have their attention for a small period of time. You, you've got to narrow that down to the right product uh, to show them at that uh, in that. So we do a lot of a lot of machine learning to sort of give superpowers to um, you know, the people on the other side of the video call, and and that's important because actually if they don't have those superpowers, then they then they may not be able to answer a question, and that's what leads to customer satisfaction. So. That we do a lot of machine learning in that space. And sort of onto AI, and I think actually the advancements in visual rendering uh, are actually really exciting. Sort of three re- 3D renders, um, you know, we can put a 3D render into the Confirmed platform and it's, uh, they're super effective. The problem historically has been is that those 3D renders are very expensive uh, to show. The cost using AI, when you're dealing with Tens of thousands of SKUs, tens of thousands of SKUs, hundreds of thousands of SKUs, millions of SKUs. You know, you've got that's a lot of three D renders there that cost a lot of money. With AI, where it sort of assumes what the what it's going to look like uh, and and makes those decisions going through, that is a game changer for us. It means we can get you know if we can get rendered images that reflect the exact use case of what a customer wants. Um, across a massive catalogue, that is that's a game changer in, mm. in, in in video commerce. Even more so than I mean, I think it's a game changer in e-commerce. Um, but the, the the use of those renders to be able to help customers make the right decisions is hugely powerful. So, um, you know, I think that's a great space in AI. And and then we then we're getting sort of getting into the nosebleed area um, <laughs> of AI, and it's probably. And, and the nosebleed area for me is the kind of the synthetic bots. Um, <laughs> and I think, I, I, you know, when ChatGBT came in, we sort of had a massive influx of calls from sort of ambitious salespeople uh, calling us up and saying, look, we can give you a synthesized human um, answering sales calls, uh, you know, to, and, and so, you know, and it was fun. You know, we'd ask them, so, oh, okay, can you do that in real time across thousands of calls a day? You know, and and can it be a proper conversation as opposed to just a, yeah. a, a stilted conversation? And and the you know we sort of got tumbleweed on the end of those calls. So it's it's 
sort of humanoid video call makes intuitive sense for this, you know, the, you know, the skating mindset. And we've all kind of got a chat GPT relationship now. I mean, I talk to chat GPT fairly regularly. I, I suspect you do, and I suspect yeah. most of your listeners do. And, and we, you know, we, um, you know, and so it makes intuitive sense to do it, but in a sales situation, in a personal shopping situation, where you really, you, you, you're lifting that experience to being a special experience, you know, humans are still winning by, by a long, 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 long way. So, and I think, you know, everybody gets a bit frustrated by a chatbot. You know, I think they're actually getting a lot better. And there's a lot of great chatbots out there that do a lot of great things in very specific use cases. Mm-hmm. Um, in a freewheeling video call where you, you, you're talking about lifestyle of these people, um, uh, it's, you know, it becomes a, comes a proper chat very quickly um, uh, when, you, when you're in a video call and you, you've got human cues, you've got body language, you've got, you've got all those types of things that are there. And it's um, to be intelligent in that you need a massive database of dialogue to make that useful. And we have, that, we have a massive database of behavior to make it useful. And, and, uh, but you, but uh, you know, that's going to take time for the tech to catch up. Knowing the pace of AI uh, is that will catch up quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you then ask yourself the question is, okay, well, how do we be responsible from a privacy perspective? That's pretty important. You know, for example, you know, we set up pretty early on and we sort of said one of the big things that um, having, you know, we, I was about to take over a video analytics company. So I, I know all the video analytics you can actually take uh, from video and, it's, and, it's, and it could be a big evasion of privacy. So we sort of said, you know, we need to make sure that um, the customer is protected in these in, in these environments where their privacy is protected to sort of make it a fair fight, you know, to, to give the customer an opportunity to to give away the information they want to give away because they, they're the people that we're serving here. So so I think it's we've got to be uh, we're going to be very careful from a from a privacy perspective to 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 make sure that 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 customers don't feel creeped out by what ai could potentially do uh, when it eventually catches up to the real pace of human dialogue and is there anything else on your vision for the future of video commerce first things first is it is our belief and it's quite a few other authorities belief that um this will become 20 percent of e-commerce by the end of the decade so if you Big think chunk. about that, 20%, yeah, so it's a proper chunk. It's, we're, we're not dealing with a small channel now. It's a, it's a small percentage now, uh, but it's only growing. We're, we're watching it grow uh, mm. every day. We're watching it grow as a percentage of, 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 of um, you know, the, 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 the chunk that e-commerce is taking. And so what I think the future of video commerce starts to be is it starts to become part of the real politic of, of selling um, alongside e-commerce, alongside retail, alongside a contact center, and alongside actually, you know, all the automations that you, you, that you see in AI uh, that is there to support e-commerce. So I think that growth uh, will be very, very interesting. And it's, you know, it's uh, what, what a, a lot of people aren't doing yet, but we are, is we're deep in, we're deeply connected to the e-commerce experience. And, and, and so I think, you know, we're starting to see some competitors slowly catch up to us, which is, which is, um, I guess, great. But, you know, 
if that video experience is more interconnected to the scale of what e-commerce is, is that's what the future really tends to look like, mm. uh, which is which is really positive. I think when you start to look in, um, you know, the world of 3D rendering with AR, I think there's a lot of really positive things going on in there. You know, again, that's where the AI with 3D rendering really starts to make a difference and starts to make it cost effective uh, for businesses to start to work in this space. And there's a lot of talk of the metaverse and where the metaverse will evolve. I think uh, video commerce will start to um, become quite useful in the VR space. And we did, you know, we did, uh, we did sort of a bit of a hackathon when, um, you know, Apple Vision Pro, you know, sort of kicked in, um, or at least when they launched it and, and um, you know, our platforms just all broke it. You could have any number of different components of our platform, it's quite configurable. So we manipulated it to be sort of VR ready and metaverse ready. And it's cool. Uh, and it's cool. It looks cool. It's a fun experience. It's, it's fun to play with and, and everything like that. And I think... That's in sort of nosebleed area, I think. Still, uh, I don't. I, the reality hasn't kicked in there yet, but I think you know to take it into that VR, that VR experience is important. Hmm. And the big issue within that is what we do know is that I've been lucky enough to see what shopping looks like in ten years' time, which is what we saw in, uh, and I, I, I saw it through numbers statistically, which was, um, which is you know, which is uh, less use of a retail environment. What I've seen since then is really that retail environment is morphing and, and being more hybrid uh, and everything like that as well. So that horrible experience we all went through in COVID um, showed us statistically what the future really genuinely does look like. Um, and so the relying less on stores and more on a virtual experience gives you know e-commerce businesses or even omnichannel businesses the opportunity to sort of have a, a quite a, a rapid expansion of their footprint out there um, uh, without necessarily investing too heavily in retail, mm-hmm. which is a big capex expense. But you know the future is never clear, is it, Jesse? It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it moves around a fair bit. There will so always, we'll, always be we'll, something we'll else see that how comes it goes. out. So. Yeah. If there's one key takeaway you'd like listeners to have about video commerce, what would it be? I think um, that everybody should take away this is is this is a new capture channel. So what I mean by that is this is going to be twenty percent of e- of your e commerce number is what this is going to be, and it's uh, and before you know it as well, it's we see businesses that are that it's slowly becoming a larger larger percentage of their e commerce number, or actually what it's really becoming is is becoming the the the, the omni commerce the omni channel mm. number. And, uh, and and that's becoming a capture channel in its own right, whereas this is more between it. So I think the big thing is, is, is if we know that that's what's going to happen, um, you know, the big thing is get it on, get it onto your agenda now. You know, I can guarantee you, your competitors are thinking about it. We get inbounds every day of people going, oh, we're thinking about this. Um, you know, we, we, we're starting to see metrics out there coming from it. So it's actually, it needs to become, if it's not on your agenda, it needs to become part of your agenda um, in, in, I think, at least in the medium term. And I, I would argue short term, but, but I think it's to, to, to make it as part of the agenda is, is hugely important, I think. Yeah. And reflecting on ConvoWiv's journey, what were some of the pivotal learning moments for you personally? 
I'll give you a few. Let's see. So, I mean, the first thing, COVID lockdowns, I've said this earlier, COVID lockdowns gave us statistically what e-commerce is going to look like in 10 years' time. And video commerce was kind of pivotal to customer decision-making in that period. That was the first big wall moment for me is actually I, I actually started to understand, you know, how things might play out. And, you know, and that was a big changing moment for me. Um, then I think when we... The next moment I think that that, that that came out for me then as well was um, when we had our prototype and, you know, prototypes weren't that great, but but actually when we got past an MVP and started becoming a, a more polished uh, platform that enterprise could use, it's just watching people's faces uh, when they saw what one-to-one live video commerce actually was. Um, you know, you get these people that kind of just lean back and have a, a, like, a like a greedy smile um, to sort of go, oh, right, oh, oh, yeah. So, and for me, that was interesting because it kind of validated what we were doing as a business. And then I think the next one was when, you know, when the volume came on the on the Conferred platform, when, you know, when the calls started going up and, you know, uh, it was actually then um, all the relationships we built with the personal shoppers. So the brand ambassadors, the store associates, you know, all the people that are taking the calls, Um they enjoy the experience. They start saying that this is how I want to work. Um, they're surprised that customers actually like it. Uh, they're surprised that customers are buying. You know, they're surprised that people are spending thousands per transaction. Uh, we've got a few examples where there's tens of thousands of pound transactions um, on, on uh, you know, per transaction on, on the platform. So it becomes a means by which Customers like, great, uh, and but actually the people on the other end, the people doing the video calls, they love it and they and it's changing the way that they want to work. In a lot of ways, we kind of wanted that to be the case, you know, but the moment I realised that that was actually happening was a big aha moment that, that kind of jolted me a bit, I think. And it's, you know, I had a client call and they said, oh, like, right, we're changing people's contracts. Uh, to give them the option to, do, to to have this hybrid model where they can be, yeah. they can be doing video, um, and that was like oh wow right okay yeah so it, that's changing, um, so all of a sudden retail working has changed forever for me as a result, uh, which is what we kind of wanted to do as a business. So and it's still early stages. I'm not going to say that that's massively prevalent yet, but it's um, what we've what I think we're on the pathway to doing is giving the retail worker a real professional access to a revolution that is that is online. I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to be in e-commerce since, you know, the late 90s. I'll call it the late 90s, not the mid-90s because I'm not that old. But, but, the, but, the, the, but the late 90s where it was new and it was and, – and it, and it worked. Hmm. And it just took time for it to take through and, and you, you, there's seeds there. And I, I believe I'm seeing that with, uh, with, uh, with, with, with video commerce in – what we kind of hoped but not quite expected uh, them to do is changing people's jobs. And I think sort of lastly is um, if you have a look at customer feedback, and I, I read customer feedback every week. I go, you know, I have a, have a session myself, usually with a glass of wine, and I just go through all the customer feedback that goes through. Just to I hope you're not responding and, to them. Do it, you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, 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 just, it's just going and having a look, you know. It's... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's it's kind of a solution. You know, it's it's an interesting solution for customers. 
So what it is, is it's, it's a solution for people who won't or can't go into a store, but mm -hmm. need an interaction. And that's relevant for both e-commerce, retail, and omni-channel. On, on so, so I'll give you some examples that, that I've gleaned from, uh, from feedback. Um, uh, you know, my, 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 my red wine feedback sessions, where it's, you know, it's the older generation. So older people that can't make it into a store. Deaf people that want to lip, lip read. You've got mobility impaired people that can't make it into a store. You've got the people that just don't like crowds, that just don't like retail. You know, they just don't like going into retail, but they, they need an interaction before they make a purchase decision. You know, you know you've got, um, and I guess you put the introverts in that category as well, mm -hmm. So, um, which makes an interesting dynamic in a lot of ways for whether they go into a video call or not. It's also for people that don't have a store close by. So that, that um, and, and that's really interesting for retailers that um, have, have a strategy predicated on, 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 on retail that they could maybe even get a bit of, a, uh, expand their footprint before they do the, uh, expand, their, uh, expand the actual retail footprint, they expand it through video uh, to start with. You know, the words are great and you learn about, you know, the different kinds of use cases that are coming through and that's great, but it actually, it all comes out in NPS and CSAT anyway. It just shows that people are enjoying it and it's, and it's, and it's nice to have built something that people like. So, uh, so that, that, that's a nice thing. Right now, it's a, um, I'm growing a business that is, uh, that is, uh, that is potentially quite positive for, uh, you know, for, for a broader sector. Yeah, and, and really interesting, really interestingly, the four things you just mentioned there is something I found as well. So when we was doing live chat as a conversational commerce initiative at John Lewis, we were able to, in, in some cases, it came through in customer feedback. So we heard from customers who were deaf and so they couldn't, you know, phone up over the phone or they didn't want to come into store because some customers that suffer from anxiety, some that didn't have a store nearby, but also the really interesting use case, because I think there's sometimes maybe a perception that a younger customer is going to use this because it's technology. But actually what we discovered was, and we have this in our data, is that our typical customer was 6.5 years older than our average e-commerce customer. And so we were proving that actually older generations are loving this as a method. And the one thing they mentioned in their comments a lot it was they used a specific term, humans. They loved speaking to a human. They loved going through to an actual person, not a bot. And they loved building that connection. And that is what drove such a great experience and all the results we saw from that eventually as well. Yeah, I 100% agree. 100% agree. Everyone, you know, you hear, I hear, I meet so many people, you know, in, in at different stages of their video commerce journey in, you know, a lot of people, you know, the, the Gen Ys and the Gen Zs, these <laughs> the ones that are doing it. And actually, they're probably the ones on the other end of the video call. Mm. But actually, it's the, uh, and which is not always the case, to be fair. Yeah, wonderful. And if our listeners want to learn more about Convo with and want to start their own video commerce, live commerce journey, how can I get in touch with you? I mean, you can get in contact with us via our website, come and visit us on our website, have a look, book a call, do those types of things, um, you know, uh, well worth doing it. We've got a, for the people that aren't ready to talk to us, we actually have a massive knowledge base on, on Confer with all things video commerce. So our knowledge base rocks. It's, uh, there's, there's a lot of interesting things in there to read, read about, uh, you know, from case studies all the way through to just knowledge articles on what to do, how to do it and when to do it. Um, 
equally, there's plenty of brands out there that are doing uh, video calls, and I'd, I'd encourage you to go and do video calls with them to see what it's like. Um, you know, um, beyond that, if you if you want someone less biased, we're naturally very biased because we think we rock. So if you don't want someone who's drunk their own Kool Aid, the big analyst companies like Gartner, Forrester, IDC um, are publishing a lot in this space. As are the likes of McKinsey. McKinsey has a lot in live commerce and, and in video commerce. So uh, you know, I tend to find myself reading, um, you know, you know, sort of reading eagerly anything that comes out by McKinsey on this on this mm. space as well. They've um, they've got a sort of a longer view, which is uh, which is well worth looking into. Fantastic, thank you. And then that nearly brings us to the end of this episode. But what we always like to end with is our surprise question round. So on a on a Google Sheet or my other tab, which I'm just going on to, I'm just going to generate a random question from it. And yours today is, if you could have a conversation with any business leader, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Over video commerce? <laughs> we will can do be, it over video commerce. Me, uh, over video commerce? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so um, uh, a business leader over video commerce, that means they're going to have to sell me something. I mean, the, the, the logical answer would be get, get Steve Jobs to try and convince me to buy Apple products over video commerce. But I think, I think from a business leader perspective, I think you would probably want, I'd probably want to have someone uh, in the leadership of the likes of Amazon mm to be selling to me over video commerce and, and showing to me the Amazon product base over video commerce and, and for them to understand how scale works and how you can scale personal shopping, how, how that can be scaled. Because the, the, the intuitive argument is, it, is when you involve people in this conversation, um, it doesn't scale, which I fundamentally disagree with. So I'd like, you know, I've been lucky enough to see uh, the inside of Amazon uh, from uh, from my earlier days at Stream Twenty, um, and I think they're an amazing data driven operation. And for them to uh, take a look at this with the right mindset to uh, you know to, to 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 see how this can be scaled from uh, their perspective would I think be thoroughly interesting for me. So. Uh, senior leadership uh, from the Amazon lot, I think I'd probably have a chat too. We'll make sure we tag them into this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Do it, do it. I love it, I love it. Fantastic, thank you. Um, Unfortunately, that now brings us to the end of today's episode. I just want to say, you know, huge thank you, Serge, for coming along. You've been a legend of a guest. It's really exciting to hear everything that's going on with your business comfort, with your personal journey, the brands you're getting on side and about that big 20% going through video commerce in the next decade. So that's a really exciting thing. And I think a lot of listeners, whether they might have their own small business are now seriously going to consider starting on their own video commerce journey. So, you know, thank you very much for coming along today. It's been fantastic. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Jesse. It's been a pleasure. Brilliant. And thank you to all our fantastic listeners around the world, wherever you are. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're tuning in on. Thank you for joining us and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Take care. Goodbye.